Hi, you're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. And no, we're not trying to sell you anything. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. Blink and you'll miss it. Part 2. The pitch black of midnight had barely begun to fade into the gray that came with the November dawn, when the city reached that nebulous point that the newspaper game considered the next morning. The new edition of the Toronto Chronicle had rolled off the presses and was now in the hands of the army of newsboys who would soon begin to roar the headlines into the cold morning wind, each trying to outshout the others and get the early commuters' nickel. High above, Kit Baxter Fenwick was waiting, once again dressed to impress as the flying squirrel. Having found the time to get a luxurious two and a half hours of sleep since the evening's dance with the blink had wound down, if she was tired, she never would have shown it to a living soul. And she had found that when one was standing on a ledge outside an eighth-story office in a steel-gray catsuit, it was always safest to assume that there was somebody watching. Her ears perked up as she heard the newsies begin to call, almost the instant the bundles of papers hit the pavement. The telegraph had gone with something about a German U-boat sighted in the St. Lawrence River, which wanted very badly to be terrifying, but came across as out-of-town local news and not very interesting. After carving up Poland in a lightning attack, Hitler seemed to have settled down, and the war in Europe was not getting the play it had been even a few weeks ago. It all seemed to be a long way away, and no one seemed to know anyone who had been shot at yet. Kit frowned to herself at the attention span of her fellow citizens. She knew that there were terrors in play, far worse than tanks and rifles, and that the men who wielded them were truly monsters. People would do well not to get too comfortable. Not to be outdone, the Chronicle lads now began to echo through the streets, calling out the morning news. Mayor to honor new recruits! They were keeping it local anyway, and trying to drive recruitment, which was lagging now that the war seemed less exciting than it did in the late summer. If this was going to be a phony war, the thinking seemed to go, weren't there more productive things a young man could be doing than be packed off to England to wait for an invasion that might never come? All of this Kit found interesting, if slightly beside the point. She had been listening for the newsies on the off chance that they were going to call out, Red Panda Captures the Blink, in voices loud and true. It hadn't happened, of course, but the newspaper getting the story wrong had still been the simplest explanation for the front page they had found last night, even if it couldn't explain how it could have existed so many hours before it should have. There might have been a simple explanation for that, too, she was no expert on the newspaper game. Once upon a time, they'd had an expert, and she had come to the same building many times to make contact with him. Jack Peters, Chronicle ace crime reporter and part-time agent of the Red Panda. He had met his end in the service of their war on crime, 
and Kit knew that the loss still hurt her partner as deeply as it did her. They asked a great deal of the agents who served their cause, and their mission might very well be impossible without their bravery and dedication. Peters had brought the strength of his newspaper's investigative arm to their efforts, as well as given them an occasional public mouthpiece in the days when they were truly outlaws. It had been a great loss, and no one had ever taken Jack's place. Probably no one ever could. Certainly today she was going to have to take her questions elsewhere, and that was going to be a little bit dodgy. She saw the car she had been waiting for far below in the gloom, and watched a large man lumber with the grace of a circus bear toward the revolving front door of the Chronicle. It was unmistakably Timothy Purley, the Chronicle's editor-in-chief and resident human hurricane. She knew that anyone in the lobby when he entered would scamper out of his way at top speed, and that he would be in his newsroom office in mere moments. Didn't leave her a lot of time, but it was more than she needed. She rubbed the sole of her static shoe against the window frame and popped it up without much effort, even if a few sparks did flash in the process. She slipped inside silently and waited. Who in thunderation closed my office blinds? She could hear him roar as he stepped off the elevator. There was no clear reply, but Kit put that down to the fact that he was addressing a nearly empty newsroom at this point. I've said it a thousand times, he continued in full voice as he stomped toward his sanctum. The whole point of having walls made of glass is so I can watch you slackers like a hawk. He was fumbling with the door now, and finally burst through sideways, dropping his briefcase as he did so. Take it easy, Mr. Purley, she said quietly, stepping from the shadows behind his desk. Great Caesar's ghost! The newspaper man bellowed. The cat burglar! A squirrel burglar, actually, she protested. And I'm trying to be subtle here if you could hold it down. Hold it down, he roared. Hold it down? I'll make as much noise as I like in my own office, you young lady. She sighed and sat down on his desk, making a small gesture to suggest that he should go ahead and have a temper tantrum if that was what he really wanted to do, which took the wind out of his sails a bit. He eyed her with a smirk. So, (laughs) you came crawling back, did you? He chuckled. Crawling back? She said, puzzled. For the job I offered you, he said, quite sure of himself. Back when you finished Jack Peter's final column. I said you had talent then, and I ought to know. I have a job, Mr. Parley, she said with a wave of her hands. What, this circus? He snorted. You could be a writer. With the major daily, what could be more important than that? Her brows knit as she struggled to tell if he was kidding. I'm... She pointed to her mask and flight helmet. I'm a superhero. Well, nobody's perfect. He shook his head gruffly. All right, I have an evening edition to get out and the usual not enough hours in the day to do it in. If you aren't going to help, then what are you doing here? I need information, she said, pulling the newspaper sheet out of her belt pouch. About this. Red Panda captures the blink, he read. Did he capture the blink? Needed not, she admitted. 
Then why did we print it? And, and when did we print it? He squinted. How in blazes? This is today's headline. But it isn't, she reminded him. Of course it isn't, he bellowed. But that is our masthead, and this is our typeset. I'd know it anywhere. So how hard would have this been to fake, she asked. Impossible, Pearlie said, slamming his fist down on the table and then delicately smoothing the paper out again. This is chronicle paper stock. I can tell by the feel of it. Okay, that sounds a little weird, she said with her nose crinkled up. Young lady, Pearlie said seriously, do you know what is coursing through my veins right now? Kit squinted. I'm pretty sure I do, but you're probably going to say newspaper ink. Newspaper ink is right! Pearlie thumped his fist down again. This is a chronicle front page, no doubt about it. But you never printed it, Kit said, more confused than when she came in. Of course we never printed it, Pearlie thundered. But look at the advertisement spread on the back page, identical to today's paper. How could anyone else have known the layout? Who else would have had the artwork? Where did you find this? Blowing around the financial district, Kit shrugged. About half past one. Half past one? Poppycock! This layout wasn't half done then, I know! I was here! Here? She stopped. When do you sleep? When do you? He snorted. Touché, she agreed. So this had to come off your presses. How did that happen? Impossible, Pearlie said, even though the proof was in his hand. It's the work of hundreds of men who were all busy doing their actual jobs. No one could have mocked it up, she asked, to throw us off? Throw you off, he growled. They created something that couldn't possibly exist to confuse you as to whether you had caught a villain whom you seem pretty certain that you did not. Yeah... It sounds pretty stupid when you put it like that, she agreed. Well, thanks for your time, sir. Time is news, miss, he said. I'll take my thanks in the form of the exclusive when you figure out the answer. And while you're at it, catch that lunatic for real this time, will you? August Fenwick stared at the bulletin board until he could hardly see it anymore. It held a map of the city, covered with red pushpins, each one of which demarked a sighting or a caper, executed by the mysterious villain the papers had dubbed The Blink. At first he had been purported to have powers that might be called super speed, and the armies of yellow tabloid journalists that fed the city's passion for mayhem every morning still seemed to think that it was true. Andy Parker, his best contact on the police force, seemed certain that this was the angle that Toronto's finest were pursuing as well. The Red Panda was less sure. In his long career as a city's mass protector, he had fought speedsters before. This one seemed different. He squinted at the pushpins and the strands of thread which tied them all together in a rough chronology as if it would suddenly reveal the answer. His own theory was that the Blink was a teleporter, disappearing at one point in space and reappearing at another. But his movements the night before had seemed too haphazard and random, 
Anyone who used teleportation in such a ham-fisted manner would no doubt have materialized in the middle of a brick wall by now. This was something else. Something different. From somewhere high above, he heard the gentle sliding of the secret door behind the piano in the Fenwick Manor House, and the light tread of feet upon the stairs. He thought nothing of it for an instant, assuming it was his wife and partner returning from her mission. A heartbeat later, he remembered. She would almost certainly be returning via the pneumatic tubes on the downtown loop. Indeed, there was no route she could have taken to get to the mansion first, unless she had gone there in full costume. Someone else was in his underground lair. When the door to the crime lab opened ten seconds later, he was still in Fenwick's shirt sleeves and suspenders, but he sported a red domino mask upon his face, and rather than being caught flat-footed at his work table, he hung upside down in the long shadows near the ceiling high above through the power of his static shoes. His visitor seemed unimpressed. The man was tall and strapping, with a leather coat and goggles, and a low-slung stun-ray holster by his side. "'Do you really think I can't see you in those shadows?' the man said without looking up. "'I do,' the red panda said petulantly from his perch. "'I think you're just guessing.' "'Well, we'll never know, will we?' the man smiled grimly. "'Why are you here tomorrow?' the red panda snarled. "'More importantly, how are you here? "'Don't I keep erasing your memory?' "'Too bad it didn't take twelve hundred years to improve upon hypnosis,' said Tom Tomorrow, man of the future with a shake of his head. "'Good old Yankee know-how,' the blank eyeballs in the red mask narrowed. "'Technically, I'm not an American.' the tall man said, pulling his goggles up to his forehead. There are no separate countries in the year when I was born. Tell Roosevelt that, the man in the mask said with a cold smile. You'll take back your Justice Union card. I'm surprised you can even be here. Doesn't the Neutrality Act require you to be hiding under a bed somewhere? Tomorrow snorted. This isn't a war zone, Red Panda, he said. But it will be if you don't stop meddling with powers beyond your control. I'd have found you even if I didn't know where you lived. Your own recklessness brought me right to your door. The red panda dropped to the floor in a low crouch. You're making even less sense than usual. Now get out of my lair before I lose my temper. Not until you tell me where it is, Tomorrow said his fingers itching for the blaster like a sharpshooter. There was a long moment of tense, motionless silence. Darn it, Panda! Why does it always have to be like this? The Red Panda rose slowly and deliberately as a low hum began to sound from the tube arrival bay. The Flying Squirrel is about to join us, Tom, he said, forcing himself to relax. Keep your hands away from that Popgun, or she'll most likely break your neck. A moment later, there was a hiss as the pressure equalized, and the flying squirrel stepped out of the pneumatic tube labeled Downtown Three. If she was surprised by what she saw, she certainly didn't show it. Tom, she said fondly. 
Has he been his usual charming self? Even more so, I'm afraid, Tom Tomorrow said grimly. Well, hold that thought a second, would ya? She said with her usual breathtaking smile. Turning to her partner, Be nice, she said with a gentle warning. Also, Editor Purley says the paper is theirs, and also that it isn't. So that's super clear. No one else could have made it, so it can't possibly exist, and even if it did, it wouldn't have last night. So take that. Trouble? Tomorrow was intrigued in spite of himself. Nothing we can't handle, the Red Panda said sternly. Thanks for dropping by. Fine, Tomorrow agreed curtly. Give it to me and I'll be on my way. Give what to you? The squirrel wrinkled up her nose in confusion. He's given up making sense, the Red Panda frowned. Keeps demanding something unnamed. Did you ask him what he wants? She said gently. Why should I let Captain Rocket Boots come in and stick me up? The Red Panda asked, with a wave of his hand in the general direction of the time-displaced hero. Because I am sworn to protect human history from a plague of unimaginable horror, Tomorrow snapped, and you are taking us to the brink of the darkest timeline of which I can conceive. I am, the Red Panda said, baffled. Tom, does this have anything to do with what you told me? Kit asked. About coming back to our time to fight the Nazis? More than fight, the man from the future sighed. Would it surprise you to know that time travel has been developed independently on hundreds of occasions? That it keeps killing each new discoverer? No, she said flatly. I hate time travel. Well, Hitler loves it. Tomorrow said, the very idea of it. He would destroy his enemies a thousand years before they were born, subjugate all mankind. I must stop him. I have chosen this destiny, designed my equipment to detect and trace his influence within the time stream. And when you activated your time device last night, the chance of the Nazis mastering time travel jumped 2,000% in an instant. My time device? The Red Panda roared. Do you have any idea how mad you sound? Wait, was this about 1.30 in the morning? The Flying Squirrel asked hopefully. Squirrel, that's brilliant, the Red Panda gasped. Perhaps not as brilliant as all that, Tomorrow said sadly. The spike came at nearly 3 a.m., even better, the Red Panda said with an uncharacteristic grin. And you can track these temporal readings in the physical world. If I know what I'm looking for, Tomorrow nodded. Outstanding, the Red Panda said. Let's go make a headline come true. The thin man took a long draw from his cigarette and listened for a moment. The dull, rhythmic thumps of leather-bound fists against soft flesh continued, slower now than they had been in the early hours of the morning, as if they had lost their former zeal, but with a steady pulse that indicated they could keep this up for a very long time. Longer than their guest could possibly endure. Each punch was punctuated by a gasp of breath, a sharp intake that never had the time to devolve into weeping, but sounded like it wished it could. 
That's enough, the thin man said, crushing the life out of his cigarette and blowing the smoke out through his nostrils where it swirled around his head like a devil incarnate, which he might well be. He waved his hand, and the owner of the fists backed away from the chair to which their guest was bound. The thin man looked at the pulped and bloody face and shook his head. "'You don't deserve this, do you, my friend?' he offered sadly. "'A brilliant mind like yours. It should have brought you fame, fortune, power.' "'Please!' the man in the chair gasped through loose teeth and thick, swollen lips. "'Please, don't do this!' "'You could have had much, my friend,' the thin man said." You discovered a power worthy of a god, and you used it to steal trinkets like an animal. My research, the man whispered, needed to pay for my research. The thin man nodded. And now that research is the only thing that can save you. We have your time manipulator. Give us the papers, the science behind it, and the pain will end. You'll kill me, the man protested with failing breath. Yes, the thin man agreed, but it will be swift and painless. I wish things could be otherwise, but even Archangel could not get you out of the country at the moment. Not all the way to Germany. Germany, the man's voice gurgled. Of course, the thin man smiled. Archangel is about to give the Fuhrer the greatest gift of all. Eternity. A glorious history, a mighty today, and a tomorrow beyond the dreams of man. All thanks to you. Now, where are the plans for your device? The man in the chair said nothing, and for an instant the thin man looked worried. A second later, the thick wooden door burst open as if it had been made of straw, and he had other problems on his mind. In an instant, a man in goggles shot down his prized interrogator with some sort of energy ray, and a woman in grey flipped into the room, wrapping him up in an unbreakable cord that trailed a red boomerang. Before he could react, she thrust a grey glove hand into his mouth and pulled out his artificial tooth with an agonizing rip. No cyanide for you today, Fritz, she taunted. An enormous man in a grey hat and coat stepped into the room behind her, carrying their guests' captured equipment. The eyes blazed from beneath his red mask. The thin man could see the room beyond, filled with unconscious bodies of his best men. The Red Panda, the thin man practically spat. Quiet, you, the mystery man ordered. I'll tell you when it's time to talk. How is the blink? The man in the goggles checked their gas vitals. The blink is excellent. He's dead. The girl raised an eyebrow. You got kind of a dark bedside manner, Tom, she said. At this point, Miss Squirrel, the fewer people there are with a rudimentary knowledge of time theory, the better. 
It puts off the day of reckoning a little longer, the man in goggles said grimly. But isn't this the end of it? she asked. No time machine for Adolf? The man shook his head. It all happened a very long time ago. It all happened a very long time ago, he said sadly. If it be not now, yet it will come. It will come, the thin man shouted passionately. The future belongs to... He seemed to lose his train of thought as a red gauntleted fist thrust into his face. I didn't say Simon Says, the red panda said with a cruel smile. Now, tell me about this archangel of yours. You have been listening to the Red Panda Chronicles, number three, Blink and You'll Miss It, written by Greg Taylor and read by Clarissa Dunnerlanden and Greg Taylor for the Dakota Ring Theater podcast. New content creation is powered by Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash g-r-e-g-g-t-a-y-l-o-r or look for the links in the show notes. Dakota Ring Theater, the sound of adventure. This is Jack Ward, and from everyone here at the Mutual Audio Network, we wish you all safety and protection during the COVID-19 outbreak. Join us as we listen and imagine, and together we'll make it through this. Please be safe.